Today's scripture reading comes from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, and verses 13 through 15. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is God's word. Please be seated. Uh, Good morning again. Uh, If you've been with us, you know that we have been for some weeks now in the book of Galatians, and it's actually at this point in Galatians where it becomes clear why we name the series Freedom in the Gospel-Shaped Life. In essence, that the beginning of our reading today, uh, Paul is sort of making his last go at really clearly and succinctly giving the two options that the Galatians have. They either have the option of going the route of the law for justification, or they can trust in Christ. And, and we will run quickly through that again. Uh, but, but today marks for us a transition in the series, and it's really a transition in the book as well. And today, we need to talk about really one thing, and that is this notion of freedom. I think if we don't talk really specifically about what Paul means by freedom, we actually might experience some whiplash from now all the way through the end of the book. Because if you've been with us, you know that Paul is harping on this reality that in Jesus, you are free. Don't submit. Don't submit. You're free. We see it all over the place here. We see it in verse 1. We see it in verse 13. We see it twice in verse 1, actually. For freedom, Christ has set you free. But it's important for us to realize that not all freedom is good, right? Not all freedom is good. Imagine if you would have eaten all the candy that you wanted on Halloween, or even worse, what if you would have let the children eat all the candy they wanted? It it quickly would have turned from freedom to something altogether different, Uh, maybe nausea, Uh, or chaos. But in that moment, uh, you would not have viewed it as freedom. But oftentimes, we're used to talking about freedom. We're used to thinking about freedom. We're used to hearing about freedom, primarily as freedom from constraint, and really freedom from all constraints. That's usually how we talk about it. And while it may seem obvious that we can't or shouldn't eat all of the Halloween candy we want, Uh, we tend to think and talk about 
freedom passionately in our culture as though true freedom has no constraints. Right? We tend to talk about freedom in such a way like it's sacred, like anything that constrains or puts limits on us is the opposite of what we want. But in fact, Paul's going to tell us, starting now, all the way through the rest of this book, that it's actually not lack of constraint that he wants for the Galatians. He wants them to embrace the proper constraint. And he's been arguing against the current constraints they've taken on, namely circumcision and the law. So he's calling them away from something. But the freedom the gospel brings is not just freedom from, it's actually freedom to. It's freedom to live as though you've been set free. And it's clear that not all freedoms lead to the freedom that Paul is talking about. Freedom from all constraints is an illusion. You see, you think if you have no constraints that you will be truly free, right, until you have no constraints and you realize that's actually slavery. And so the gospel offers us freedom from in order to give freedom to in some very specific ways. Here's how one commentator helpfully put it this way. True freedom, therefore, is not self-fulfillment. Now, right there, even if I just read that much, that is a heresy in our current culture. That true freedom is not self-fulfillment. It's not merely political independence or even social equality. It is not the kind of liberty that leads to license. The freedom to do whatever we want or believe whatever we choose is, in fact, not truly freedom. True freedom means liberation from sin, death, and the devil. And by the grace of God, this is exactly the kind of liberation Christ has come to provide. And in the text today, Paul talks about this true freedom. He's making a transition to describe not just freedom from, but now, in very detailed terms, freedom to. And so, the first thing I want us to notice is that the gospel offers us liberty, not license. Okay, one more time, Paul goes through the options the Galatians have. Look at your worship folder insert, right? He's telling them justification is either by the law or by faith in Jesus. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free two times, right? So he says, stand firm, therefore, do not submit again. Jump down to verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. If you look at verse 2, he gets real clear with them. Look, it starts with the word look. I even say look, right? He says, look, I, Paul, say to you, that if, if you accept circumcision, right, verse 2, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Verse 3 says it again in another way. I testify again. Every man or every person who accepts circumcision is obligated to keep the whole law. If you choose circumcision, which is a representative of any system that you want to create that makes you right with God, Paul is saying, if you give in to that one thing, you have severed yourself from Christ. You have separated it. Sometimes I think people can read at the end of verse 4, you have fallen away from grace, as though God is just sort of 
keeping us at arm's distance, right? Like, like you might fall away, be careful. You don't know where the edge is, but you might fall off. But that's actually the opposite of what Paul is saying. If you look at verse four, Paul is saying that if you have chosen circumcision or any rules for justification, you are severed from Christ because you chose to sever yourself from Christ. That's what he says. Because you who would be justified by the law have fallen away from grace. You've chosen to walk away from Jesus. He will be of no advantage to you. If anything at all in your heart is set up to earn favor, to earn salvation, to earn anything, if you choose that path, Paul says, you will sever yourself from Christ. He will be of no advantage to you. Okay? So that's what he's saying here. It's it's one of the last times he's going to say it. He's been saying it over and over and over. He says it very clearly there. Then in verse 5, he changes a little bit. He starts to make the transition. For through the Spirit, by faith. And then again in verse 6. But only faith working through love. Now, verse 13 really is the transition. Okay, he's been moving, he's saying, he's summing it up, summarizing this way or this way, and now in 13, this is where we'll launch for this morning. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. This word opportunity, the NIV translates it indulge, and it's actually a military word. It's a military term for a base of operations. So think about why does a military set up a base of operations? Well, they set up a base of operations so that they can have all the resources they need to make progress, right? They they have supplies to engage in some type of battle, okay? They're preparing for a certain mission. And what Paul is saying here is don't set up, don't use your freedom to set up a base of operations for your flesh. Amen. Amen. That's power. I mean, not mine. But uh, is everybody okay back there? Okay, good. So, this idea of setting up a base of operations means something like this. We must not allow sin to use our freedom in Christ as a beachhead to launch a spiritual attack against us. Right? The fact that we're liberated from legalism must not become an excuse for satisfying sinful desires. Right? You know you do this. Like, we all do this. Right? You, you, you come into a gray area, which most of life is gray, and you, you see other Christians engaging in a certain activity that in and of itself isn't sinful, right? They have freedom to engage in certain things. But for you, you and I need to be very reflective on what is exercising our freedom and what is setting up a beachhead for sin in our life. We know this at the most basic level, right? You know this because that's why some of you know that you shouldn't buy cookies and keep them in your house, right? You know you shouldn't buy 
I can't keep chips in my house because I tell you what, there will be a beachhead set up for that bag to be gone the day they got there. I promise you. You think I'm joking? I'm not joking. Okay, so there are all types of realities in our life where we think, oh, it's not that bad. I mean, it's not wrong, is it? Maybe not. Maybe. You see, for you, it might even be watching a, a certain TV show, right? Everyone's watching it. Everyone's watching it. So it must be okay. It must be okay. You might think, hey, I'm free to watch whatever I want. It's a great storyline. Lots of redemptive themes. Great. How's the nudity going for you? <laughs> right? Do you feel free now? Do you feel really free? I bet you feel so free from your lust. I bet you feel so free. You know, you know you don't, you don't feel free, right? You, you know your mind goes somewhere. Or, or it's, so, it's so visceral that uh, it, it, it makes life and relationships and marriage look like it should be like the movies, right? And then all of a sudden, it causes this bitterness in you toward your spouse. Because you think if my spouse was only like that, or if my spouse was only like that person, or like that character. You see, I don't, I don't know what it is for you, but I do know this. The devil is waiting and watching for you to exercise your freedom in Christ in such a way where you've actually set up this base of operations for him to come in and mock you. I think I'm free. You think you're free. And the devil laughs and mocks you because you're a slave all again. And so Paul is saying, you are free only. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. You see, love, let's see here, I lost my place. Yes, okay. Legalism demands responsibility without freedom, right? You think to yourself, well, I'm not a legalist. I'm free in Christ. But you run from legalism, which is what Paul has been speaking against. And that's good, right? Because legalism demands responsibility without freedom. They were saying, get circumcised or you're not a true Christian. But we can't fall off to the other side, which would be license, because license grants freedom without responsibility, and we know that's not true freedom, right? The truth is that anyone who uses freedom to indulge the flesh is not really free at all. Jesus said it this way, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And by that he means anyone who continues in a sin is a slave to that sin. In other words, license is the very opposite of liberty. It's really a form of slavery, Real liberty comes when Jesus frees us from sin, but license is self-enslaving and self-destroying. So you see, Jesus offers liberty, not license. And Paul is saying, all this talk about freedom, all this talk about liberty, let's not get it twisted. You don't leave to go to license. Right? We, we also know this, besides the, the type of food that we may keep or may not keep in our house, we understand this dynamic. And I already mentioned it in the call to worship, if you were here. 
right? One of the reasons in our culture that we talk about freedom so much is because we have an aversion to any type of submission, right? Any type of bowing down to feels wrong. Any type of submitting to authority feels wrong. And so if that is true, then freedom without constraints becomes a virtue of our society. But in fact, freedom without constraints is not freedom, and it's actually a vice in the Bible. The the issue is freedom to embrace the proper constraints, right? Think about this. Think about a man or a woman who has a heart attack, and they go and talk to their physician and then to a a dietitian, and they say, listen, you got to change your diet. You have to change your diet. And what if their response was, I'm free to do what I want. Are you going to be there to stop me from eating whatever I want to eat? Right? I'm free from all constraints. It's like, well, okay, you can choose the lesser freedom of eating whatever you want, but you're going to lose the greater freedom of seeing your grandkids in five years. Which one do you want? Which freedom do you want? Right? Some people, uh, some of us, we want to grow as athletes, right? Some, we have some students here. You want to grow as athletes. You want to grow as a student. You want to grow as a financial advisor. You want to grow in, in, as a consultant. You want to grow as a pastor. You want to grow anywhere, somehow, right? You want to grow. But you know the only way that you can is to find someone who's ahead of you and submit to them, right? Submit to them as an apprentice. Say, tell me what to do. This is why people hire personal trainers, right? They know that I can't do this on my own. I need to submit to a person. I'm actually going to pay them so they can tell me what to do, right? We understand this dynamic. We understand that sometimes submitting to a great teacher or a coach or a leader or some type of school, right? If you choose a school, some of you and here are going to be going to college, right, or grad school. You're about to submit yourself to that faculty, right? There's this saying in education that the faculty is the curriculum, and it's true. It doesn't matter what you read, kind of does, but the faculty matters because you're going to be submitting yourself to them, That's why it matters what job you take. Who are you submitting yourself to? Are you going to submit yourself to someone, a great leader, a great coach who helps you realize your potential and everyone flourishes because they they facilitate your agency? They don't let you do what you want. They challenge you. We all want this type of flourishing. We all want these types of relationships when you put them in that context. But yet we all live under this illusion that somehow freedom in Christ would equal doing what I want. Or some of you aren't Christians, and you think, well, true freedom would be a spirituality that lets you pick and choose, that would let you do whatever you want. But I think you know that's not true. We are constantly foregoing lesser freedoms for greater freedoms. So the question is, what is the greater freedom in the gospel that Paul is talking about? Recap. This is a transition. Paul's making a transition. I'm making a transition. Before we can go from here into the coming weeks, we have to get really clear on what Paul means by freedom. That's what we're doing. This is not freedom only from things. It's freedom to things. 
It's not settling for the lesser types of freedom. It's pursuing the greater types of freedom. And so what is the greater type of freedom in the gospel? Paul's very clear that the greater offer is liberty to love. Do we have a screen behind me? Is it back? You're right, it is. Look, it's in verse 6. It's in verse 13. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. It's again in 13. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Right? That would be a lesser freedom. That'd be settling. But go for the greater freedom. Through love, serve one another. You see, love is the ultimate proof that life-giving freedom is not freedom from all constraints. You cannot love someone and be free from constraints. So, no one can love you and be completely free from all constraints. Right? We, we know that when we love someone, when we're in a loving relationship, unless both people sacrifice some freedom in order to serve the other, there will not be love. We know that when these restrictions are accepted mutually, we actually gain all types of new liberties in a loving relationship, right? But you see, uh, cultural commentators uh, will point out that most people want two things, and they think they go together, but they actually fight one another, right? The first thing we want is, is to be known by others, to They say we feel the most ourselves when we're truly loved and when we're loving one another. Just listen to pop music. Just read the magazines. Watch popular sitcom television. It's almost hard to argue with this. People feel, people teach, people say, people sing, people write that you'll be the most yourself when you just love people and when you're most loved by others. But the problem is, is that they also try to maintain that you should pursue a life free from all constraints. And those two things cannot go together. True love cannot lack all constraints. Right? But true love actually requires giving up of our own self-determination. Anyone who's been married for longer than five minutes knows this, right? A desire for freedom from constraints in a relationship is like acid, right? If you think I can love and be loved and be free from all constraints in this relationship, it's like you're just letting yourself or letting the evil one or letting the culture pour acid, acid into your relationship. It will just corrode everything. It's so corrosive, to live a life of thinking it's a moral imperative that I pursue freedom and self-fulfillment and freedom and self-fulfillment equals no constraints. You see, as one pastor points out, if a person is controlled by a view of freedom that equals freedom from all constraints, that means they'll want a spouse who, quote, accepts me as I am and neither demands that you change nor requires you to sacrifice any of your own substantial desires, interests, and dreams. Friends, that type of marriage is a fiction. 
just like freedom from constraints is an illusion. Right? We all want community badly, but we don't want to be constrained. I mean, to go to community group, I'm tired. I don't want to do that. I think I'll just stay here. It's easier. Well, yeah, it's easier, but you can't submit to the lesser constraints of sitting on the couch and watching TV. Lesser freedom, right? It's a freedom. You can do that. But if you want this greater freedom of truly being known or at least being on a path of being known, you got to go. You have to ask questions. You don't just show up and not talk. You have to put yourself out there. And for some of us, that's more challenging than others. For some of us, we want a sense of community in our neighborhood. We want to be able to let our kids play in the front yard, but we don't walk across the street and knock on the door and try to meet our neighbors and build a relationship with them. You see, there's sacrifice. We sacrifice less, lesser freedoms for greater freedoms. In marriage, for example, going back to marriage, we lose our independence in order to gain new freedoms. There are some dreams you have that because you said yes to your spouse, you got to give those up. Because when you said yes to them, you said no to a lot of other things. Starting with everyone else of the opposite sex. Right? You say no to your husband. You, said, you say yes to your husband. You say no to everyone else. Right? You say yes to your wife. You say no to every other woman who has ever been born, who currently lives, or who ever will be born. It's a big decision. But you made it. You chose it. And so now true freedom wouldn't be to ignore it. It would be to go further up and further in into the commitment that you made. Because that's where truer freedom will be found. It's not just this. If you're a musician, you have to sacrifice time to practice, right? You want the freedom of being able to improv. Well, you got to sacrifice to learn the scales or you will never be free to play improv, to play in a band like this. It's a lot different going from strumming three chords on your guitar to playing up here. You got to sacrifice a lesser freedom, right? Watching TV, doing something else for the greater freedom of sacrifice and practice that will lead to playing up here. Or for some of you, making a career out of music. Some of you uh, want to be a great student, but you don't study. Right? You, you don't want to give up other things. You get the point. I don't have to keep going. We do this all the time. We have to give ourselves to something. Now let me, let me just end this here. The reason I kept using marriage wasn't only because it's easy, but also because there's, a, there's a, another picture of marriage in the scriptures. And that is, if you are in Christ, if you're a Christian, in a sense, Paul says, Christ in the church is like marriage, and it's a mystery. And so if it's true that for you and your spouse, in order to experience the love that you want to, you have to actually sacrifice something. You have to actually die to self. You have to give up some lesser freedom for that greater freedom of flourishing. 
And that in there, there is a whole new world of freedom waiting for you. Well, what if we were to give ourselves to God like that? Our true love, right? We'll become more free than we can actually imagine. We'll be free from fears and insecurity and shame. We'll be free to forgive, to love others, to face suffering in a way we couldn't before. And this is why Jesus says, when you know me, you will be set free. So I would ask you, what is it in your life that is keeping you from fully giving yourself in a certain area to Jesus? Is it fear of future for you? Are you so scared that if you don't take a hold of your future, that somehow Jesus can't take care of you? Right? For you, is it that you don't want to be fully known because that's too vulnerable for you to actually cry out to God? I think some of us fall into this lie that the Father sent the Son to die for us, but that He wants to keep us at arm's length. Right? No, the Father sent the Son to die for you because He wants to be in intimate relationship with you like a father and a child where the father looks deep into the child's eyes and wants to know their longings, wants to know what they desire, wants to hear from them, wants to comfort them, wants to teach them, wants to lead them, wants to provide for them. If you want that, how much more would our heavenly father want that for us? So we don't have to be afraid of giving up lesser freedoms that seem constrictive. No, because we actually gain greater freedoms that lead to joy, true joy, and true freedom. You see, ultimate bondage is not to the constraints that we might currently have relationally or financially or in our current job, right, or in our current season of life. We may feel so stifled by certain constraints, but those aren't the constraints that we need to be concerned about. The constraints that we need to be concerned about are the constraints of guilt, sin, and death. And those constraints have been completely removed in Jesus. Right? We read this week in Hebrews chapter 2 in our community Bible reading, since therefore the children share, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Listen, the future is very bright. The future is so bright, no matter what it seems like right now. Life is hard, and your future is bright. You make horrible mistakes. Next week, we're going to talk about Some of you think that when I say the Christian life is all freedom, you think there's no struggle. Paul takes that on next. No, it's filled with struggle. But Paul is telling us, your future is bright. Pursue the greater freedoms because you've been set free from the guilt of slavery and death and sin. And so to work your faith out through love, in order for that to happen, you actually have to receive that love that is yours in Jesus Christ. And I want to share a story to close with you that reminds me every time I think about it of what it looks like when my needs are completely filled up that I can overflow 
to serve and love others. I had uh, friends of mine who went to Ghana to teach a class, um, a seminary class, and they were there, and of course, it, it was a room filled with men and women, and a whole day of uh, lecturing and uh, educational activities, and at the end, there was a project that, that, that was given. And my friends, the professors, thought it should take about an hour, hour and a half. So they give the, the directions, and they make sure everyone understands, and they walk out, and they take a tour with, uh, with the tour guide of the community, and they come back to pick up their things, just sure that everyone will be gone. It's been two hours. And they walk in, and everyone is still there. And their first, my friend's first thought, he said, they didn't understand, but they told me they did. So he thought, man, why did, I, why did I believe them? I should have stuck around. I should have stayed and listened. So he walked up to one of the leaders, and he said, did you guys not understand? And he said, oh, no, a lot of us understood. Most of us are done. But do you see those three people over there? They're not done. And so we're, that means we're not done. You see, the point was this. This is the point I'm making, is that yeah, most of the people in the room were done. They, they, their project was taken care of, right? They, they could have just left. But in that culture, they so value community that until everyone was done, no one was done. What would it take in our lives to be able to live our day like that, right? It's not a one-to-one comparison, but I can tell you this, that if you wake up, if I wake up in the morning, every morning, and go and receive the love that we have in Jesus through the Word of God, reflecting on it, praying to Him, we, in being completely loved, will actually be freed up, not to spend our days trying to earn anything from God, right? But just because we're free doesn't mean we can go live our day for ourselves. No, we've actually been set free, filled up to go and love others, We've been set free day in and day out to serve others. And so when you walk into work, you look around and you say, I say, Lord, who am I serving today? Who am I serving? You've given me love. You've given me freedom. You've given me gifts to serve you. You see, that's what Paul means when you've been set free by faith, working through love. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you confessing that so often we live our lives uh, as though uh, it's all about us. So that can lead us to think, well, if I'm free in Jesus, I'm free to live however I want. And that's not freedom, that's slavery. I pray now as we try to rethink freedom in the gospel in the next few weeks that you would do something new in our hearts and in our minds that that you would remind us that true freedom is found in Jesus and through loving neighbor. And you've gifted us in such a way that we can serve others because we're free to. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.